Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Welcome to this next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today I have Dr. Nilesh Shatguru with me. Nilesh, how are you today? I'm very well, Mark. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Now, Nilesh, you're a certified high performance coach and a lifestyle medical doctor. So I'm really excited for today's interview. And I always think that it's good just to hit the ground running with these podcasts because literally they fly by. It's unbelievable how quick they go. One question I want to kind of just open this whole conversation out with you today is how does a doctor become curious enough and care enough to create a science-based coaching program? How does that all come about? Wow. Well, it's been a roller coaster of a journey and one that I fully have enjoyed. Uh, I think I'd take it back to actually quite way back when I was living in the Netherlands and I was cycling home from hockey practice and I distinctly remember this kind of canal in the Netherlands, this green leafy village. And when I came to the front of my house, I noticed that there was a car in the driveway and there was a doctor standing in the doorway. Anyway, my father was in bed and the whole left side of his body was motionless and I was witnessing him having stroke. Uh, He was 47 at the time. Um, I was about 11 years old and it sparked a lot of questions that kind of led me into medicine. When I went went into medicine, I had a lot of ideas to try and support the health of people with chronic health conditions and reverse chronic health conditions. And that essentially led me to become a GP uh, in, in the UK, a primary health doctor. But I quickly realized that the, the, the people that I was seeing about four and five of them weren't getting better from the usual drugs and guidelines that I've been taught. And that got me into lifestyle medicine with the help of one of my colleagues. He, he encouraged me to go down that route. And for anyone listening, lifestyle medicine is the specialty that looks to prevent, treat and reverse chronic conditions, primarily through lifestyle change. So I went and studied all of the data and I thought, easy, what I'll do is I'll just spurt loads of data out to patients and they'll change and everyone will get better and it will be great. But of course, it does not work like that. And I became really fascinated, it ignited something that I was always fascinated in, which is the mind, mm-hmm. human potential, human behavior. And that led me to go and study with the High Performance Institute and become a certified high performance coach. So it was really through personal experiences through pain through struggles that uh, that took me down this path yeah it's interesting why do you think psychologically then why do you feel it takes like a relative's illness in this case you know your father or a child's development struggle to change you know direction in life why do you feel that that happens that's a fantastic question mark i think when we lean into our fears and our pains and our struggles, we find a new level of thinking. 
there's a great phrase that she's in Khalid Gibran's prophet, the book, it says that um, joy and sorrow are basically two sides of the same coin. And the more sorrow you experience, the more joy you can experience. He says, is it not uh, the same cup that you drink wine from? Is that not the same cup that was being burnt in the potter's furnace? So I think that the reason why it takes these things is because when you have a painful experience, it kind of broadens your emotional range and therefore broadens your level of thinking for, for new possibilities. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like even, even for like the pandemic, it's kind of landed with people differently. Some people have found it a blessing. Some have found it a curse. But what it has done is it gives everybody a chance to, to think uh, to slow down and, and those pauses will either be uh, hellish for some and liberating for others. It is that sense of being exposed. And when you're talking about contrasts, you know, contrasts are something that I think, you know, we all need, you know, in order to make sense of life, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There is no joy without sorrow. I mean, that's, the, that's a real message I want everyone to take that mm. no, no emotion is right or wrong they're all there to teach us to train us they all have an evolutionary purpose you know anger tells us when our boundaries are crossed fear tells us when we need to be safe um, and sorrow prepares us for loss they, they all have functions and features so when, when we understand that we no longer feel as uh, annoyed about experiencing these emotions and we can we can use them they can they can help us grow and move forward and perform at our best yeah i think that's important when you're talking about you know, not being afraid of emotions, that each emotion plays its part. It's about understanding why it's there and giving it its space to almost to honor that, you know, and I've talked as well before, you know, there's a difference between sitting in something and wallowing in it, right? So it's got to, you got to kind of go through that process, as you said, to help serve you, you know, in, in this case, when you were a little 11 year old boy and you saw your dad having a stroke, you know, that actually took you down a journey where you wanted to, kind of know more about it and be able to offer some kind of help to other people that, that suffer in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you fully have experienced uh, illness, either yourself or with a loved one, it really shifts your perspective. I think it makes you a better clinician um, and it makes you a more, more aware person as well. So yeah, I completely agree with that, Mark. Now, I know that you've identified six deliberate daily actions that high performers practice. I would love to know from yourself, Nilesh, uh, what are those six? Amazing. Yeah, so this is based on the research from the High Performance Institute, and it's based on the, the world's largest study of high performers. So 1.6 million data points, 190 countries across the world. And it really asks the question, why is it that some people achieve such great levels of success and stay there consistently? And why is it that others maybe achieve that success but are miserable on the journey? And what did they find in those six habits? Well, clarity, energy, productivity, necessity, influence, and courage are these six uh, high-performance habits as described by the Institute. And, you know, you can, there are various actions you can take based on those core habits and features. Uh, but this is something that we, we coach on. And I, I've been through the program multiple times myself, and I've just seen just the vast benefits of focusing on these six 
intentional habits. Yeah, it seems like you're very, very heartfelt, obviously affected by, by your dad, which we've already mentioned. Obviously, I think people that are in medical profession, they they generally care about human life. And I know that compassion is a strong personal you know, value you have. Why is it important to be compassionate to ourselves and to others? Thank you for this question. Yeah, compassion is really underpins everything that I do. If I would say that there's one value that I espouse, I attempt to espouse, it's is compassion. And let me share with you the real reason why I value compassion. You would think someone going into medicine, it's a prerequisite compassion. The truth is, it's not. And I would say that it was only when I was working as a, a partner in a medical practice that I really learned the value of compassion. I was working this practice and I had 2,400 people on my list. Um, We would deal with hundreds of people, see hundreds of people's names a day. And I remember I was really behind in one clinic, about 20 minutes behind. And this this entrepreneur, this lady, high-functioning person came in and they were really, really struggling. They were struggling with chronic headaches. And I saw something that needed urgent attention that day. But the truth is, I didn't really pay attention to that person's individual suffering. I didn't pay attention to their, the agreement in the meaning of their circumstances, or I didn't take any specific action to to relieve their suffering. What happened? Well, I got the diagnosis correct, but the patient wrote a complaint and that actually attacked my very character. I didn't speak for a few weeks. I went into into my shell significantly in that time. And it was then that I realized that I was stuck in my ego, my own agenda as a doctor. And I made it my purpose really from then on to make compassion the sole purpose of my interactions with patients and and people from that point moving forward. And I think, you know, today in a world where we have access to all these algorithms and more information than the president of the United States does, uh, did in 1994, I think compassion is ultimate skill for anyone really out there today yeah i'd agree and i think especially in in the medical practice i think you know if you're going there there's obviously something not right or or something that's concerning you if you're not met with compassion uh then it can really cause more angst and uh, i've definitely experienced that where um i've got how ha- i've had two different kind of i guess experiences Uh, based on one practice uh, in Coventry where I used to live uh, and the total opposite of where I live now in Leamington Spa where the the care here is unbelievable Uh, you know and the compassion is really at the forefront Um, the ability to listen to reassure to guide you know just really quite the opposite you know and and I think that you know, you even saying that you would think that it, the compassion would be innately there at the front of the list for, within the medical and even you're saying that it isn't like, but it, it's amazing that you're able to actually reflect on that complaint and rather than become, you know, dismissive, uh, you actually really took it as a chance to, to pause, to, to pivot and, and to actually better yourself. So what a, what a beautiful that woman did you a, she did you a favor in some ways and then kudos for you for being able to see it for what it was yeah thank you I'd, 
it's probably a good a good time to make some differentiations between compassion and empathy here because a lot of people get their wires crossed and if there's one really important message i want to send to anyone who's listening is to understand the, the difference between compassion and empathy so a lot of people in in healthcare they're very empathic and empathy says i feel you i feel your pain and actually we know from research from the max planck institute in in berlin that empathy and compassion have different brain signatures so in empathy the insular cortex lights up but in compassion the reward and care systems of our brain light up the medial orbitofrontal cortex the ventral striatum because compassion is about nurturing compassion is not about somebody's reaction it's only about your actions that's the most important distinction i would make and see we're all hardwired to be compassionate because as mammals that's what differentiates us our nurturing and our caregiving system it innately feels good for us to do that and that's why compassion will lead to joy and more positive emotions so I hope that helps for anyone. I hope that serves anyone who's listening, but it's a really important distinction. If you're feeling like, oh, Nilesh, I hear you, but I tried to be compassionate, but it just people don't understand, that's probably empathy. And I say that with compassion, funnily enough. Um, it's probably empathy. When you're taking on the emotions of other people, compassion is just about your actions, just for the love of doing something without any expectation. No, I think that's good. I think that's good to spell that out because sometimes I think, yeah, we do, we hear words and they become kind of just you know we use it in our everyday vocabulary but do we really know the meaning so I always love when uh, people kind of direct us in a way that actually this means this and that means that because it does it does help so thank you for that one I know that you love human uh, interaction massive in community how do you how do you, you know we better connect with ourselves and others through through this Yes. Well, we were actually speaking a little bit about this before we hopped on, uh, Mark. I think the first thing to realize is the contagious nature of our behavior. Mm. So there's a pandemic just finishing or going on, but know that there's an emotional pandemic too. And it's the same the research from people like James Fowler and Nicholas Christakis, I urge anyone to check out their book Connected and the multiple research papers they've done. They've looked at things like obesity, happiness, but also voting behaviors and how you can get an emotional contagion. So the first thing to understand is if you're trying to connect with people, managing your own emotional state is really, really important. The next thing is our connectivity. And it just shows, right, uh, when we had this conversation, I'm sure there's people that the two of us know, but we don't know that the two of us know. And when you start to see our innate connectivity, that actually there's only about six degrees of separation between anyone in the world, isn't that mind-blowing? Isn't that mind-blowing? Yes. This has been replicated from Stanley Milgram's postal studies in the 1960s, it's been replicated again via email with 98,000 people. So... If you're wanting to set up a community, know that actually the world is quite small and you can connect and know that your emotional state matters. Yeah, so so obviously the more the more that because I mean I, I live in a world where a lot of the people within my circles they want to better themselves, they're conscious, they love psychology, you know, they're owning their own, you know, rubbish. 
uh, and really moving that needle forward, you know, and, and like you're saying, having a stable mindset and an attitude of growth actually then helps you become, I guess, more connected to, to other people and people want to be connected to you as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, for those that maybe are struggling, then compassion's the answer. Mm. You know, I wouldn't say that you should only, I think sometimes in the, in the realms of personal growth for people out there, I've experienced this myself, you feel, oh, I'm only going to be friends with people who are also on that journey. But hey, there are people around you that, that need you. And there are people around you, loved ones who maybe aren't on that, that journey. And that's okay. Mm. And we shouldn't judge them for that. We should understand that everyone's at different times of their journey. It doesn't make anything right or wrong. We have commonalities. And I'd encourage everybody just to look for the commonalities in people. And I say this as much as advice for myself, because sometimes I struggle to do this. Like I came from a way more judgmental background. And in fact, in medicine, we're taught to be judgmental in a way. Like this means that, and that's not a diagnosis. That is a diagnosis. So I would, uh, I would recommend people take that non-judgmental approach and yeah, and, and focus on the connectivity and the contagion of, of your emotions. Yeah. And I think a lot of your emotional stability and, and state of mind uh, derives from uh, the conversation we have, have with ourselves, you know, and, and why do you believe that the conversations we have with ourselves is so important? Yeah. Well, to put it simply, and it, and it is a cliche, but it is so true that we are the person that we spend the most amount of time with, right? And when you really understand that you cannot serve anybody from a half cup or an empty cup fully, and many people, spiritual practices, research, would all agree that the purpose of our life is, is one of contribution, is finding our strengths, building our skills, something we feel confident in, and then contributing. So you can imagine if you're feeling inadequate or if you're feeling insecure or saying negative things to yourself, how much more of a challenge it makes for you to just make any form of contribution to anyone. Mm. And then we end up feeling unfulfilled. And it's this vicious cycle, right? The negative self-talk leads us to not contributing, having a fear of judgment, and then we feel unfulfilled anyway. So yeah, I think it's always best to start with yourself. Last thing I say is I love Dr. Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion, Professor Kristen Neff, I should say. And I would encourage people to have a look at that work because that will shift a lot of beliefs as to what's possible when we develop a more compassionate. Remember, again, compassionate is about nurturing and caring. It's not self, it's slightly different from just self-love. It's looking to the future and saying, you know, what would my best self want to do five years on from now? Good. It's important. I like the fact we're talking about stuff that often sometimes gets um, pushed to the side. And it's good that we're, we're talking about something quite holistic and, and poignant at the moment, because as you said, I really like what you said earlier about there's an emotional pandemic going on and the importance to be able to soothe ourselves, have a healthy conversation with who we are, having that compassion to, to move us forward, I think is, is so critical. So I think what we're talking about today is really important uh, and it's really valuable. One of your mantras is believe in growth. What do you mean by that? 
<laughs> yeah, there's a story behind that. And I think just for all the parents out there, I'm sure you're going to resonate with this one. <laughs> so a few years ago, my son, as I've spoken about before, has some de developmental struggles. And that actually really led me to learn in a lot more depth about the brain. There was one particular afternoon I was out with in, in wintertime in the UK and in a muddy park. You guys, I'm sure you can resonate with this, Mark. And my son began to have a, a really very, very challenging tantrum. Now, I think these, these tantrums are a little bit different from maybe what a neurotypical child would experience. And he, got, he was covered in mud. He was screaming for, for, for quite some time. It was very distressing. Anyway, I came home and, I, and truth be told, I sat in my kitchen and I cried. I felt like I was the only person who was experiencing this. I was saying, well, why me? Why, why is this happening? Why is it happening to my son? And then for a moment, I realized, surely I'm not the only one. And that led me to kind of dig deeper into my past and say, when I was going through difficult times where I felt separated, lonely, like I was the only one experiencing something, that all I needed to do is have a belief in growth. That my son may be experiencing this now, but I have no idea what he's going to go through in the rest of his life. It's the future is a mystery. But if I believe in growth, if I send that positive energy, like we were talking about earlier, and back that up with positive habits and actions, then I'll start to see a significant shift in, in results. And so for anyone out there who's listening, you know, no matter what you're going through, where you've been or where you're going, I believe as long as you believe in growth, you will be able to work it out. Yes. Just writing that down, that one about every, like the question is, and I already know the answer, but are you saying that everything we go through, we have the ability to grow from it? It's, I don't like the everything and nothing questions. Though. I, know <laughs> you, I know that you say that. Like, I think if we choose to, if we want to, if it's right for us at that time as well, you know, I think that's important. Sometimes it's not the right time. Sometimes the growth comes two years after the event and that's, that's okay. Um, so I, I, I do want to send a message out to anyone. If you are struggling right at this minute, right now, do not feel like you need to, you need to do something today or now it's okay to, to sit in that, to accept it, to nurture yourself through that challenge. But I do feel that we are living in unprecedented times where we have access to just the most amazing set of resources and information. And so when I was struggling with my son's developmental challenges, I only had to go online to find people that, that could help. Mm. and start reading and start believing in the fact that I, I could learn maybe I didn't know what to do now but I could learn mm. so yes I would I would encourage people to have a belief in growth and that remember it's not about being perfect it's just about being better I mean it, it feels really good for me to have a frame that if I have the belief that everything I go through good or bad has the ability to make me grow then I feel like it gives it gives you a, a better posture. I, um, John Maxwell says, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. What a, what a great frame that is, rather than win or loss. It's either you win and you get that which you want, or, or you lose. And, and the interesting thing is, is even, or oh, sorry, or, or you learn. Because even through the couple of stories that you've shared vulnerably, like around the complaint, you know, that was a learning 
it wasn't a loss. And then it actually became a growth because look where it sent you. Look what happened. You know, and that I think is really important that actually, regardless of what we go through in life, if we have the ability to frame it as a win or to learn rather than a win or a loss, then actually that that posture I think we can all have puts us in a better, a better state. So yeah, really good, really good thought. Uh, I've got one last question for you before I ask you if you uh, want to share anything else burning and obviously let people know how to interact with you. But I always like to ask this question. But if you could uh, sit down, have a piece of cake or a sandwich uh, with someone living or 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 dead, who who would that be and why? Wow, uh, this, I love I love these kinds of questions. I got to say Aristotle. And the reason for that is um, when I was studying the Lifestyle Medicine Diploma, a lot of his work was actually quoted in the Lifestyle Medicine Diploma. And I just kept finding myself be completely drawn to his words and his philosophy of a meaningful life. And he, if really, he's the forefather of positive psychology. And we, we hear about people like Martin Seligman and Barbara Friedrichsen now, but Aristotle, I, I, I really resonated with, with so much of what he said. And I will... I will ask him, how did you come to the, the quotes like uh, happiness is the meaning and purpose of life or, or how did you come around to excellence is, is a habit? Um, you know, we are what re- we repeatedly do. So therefore excellence is a habit. I'd love to ask him these kinds of things and, um, and, and probe him on that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating. I'm always fascinated by people that, uh, are, are achieving where they get their their level of fix from what what gives them uh, a mental shot of dopamine in in their mind that really just makes them yeah just think wow so great great answer Nilesh was there anything that you wanted to say or capture before uh, you tell people how they can find out about you and interact with you yeah, I, I, I would just like to, you know, I'm going to speak about compassion because it is what I love. And I think that in, in the world today where, where we're becoming more separate, although we're more connected, we're becoming more separate. I would encourage everybody to, to just have a look at the data and the science on compassion. Because it's truly fascinating and it really does show you that you're, whether it's you achieving your goals, protecting against anxiety and depression, developing trust, kindness, love, compassion is something that's completely free and trainable and also innate within us. So that's the message I would like to send. And I would also like to send that what I do is compassionate high performance. So it doesn't mean that you have to not chase your goals and go and um, set up a business and do all those wonderful entrepreneurial de- endeavors you can do both uh, yeah where people can find me is on i'm mainly active on instagram um i will be kind of branching out a little bit more but i'm trying to mainly focus on one channel for the time being uh, at dr sakuru that's d for delta r for roger and then sakuru s-a-t-g-u-r-u and I've got various links and resources there, but I do actually love connecting with people. So get in touch. I also have a weekly video series blog, which is called the Believe in Growth, funny enough, video broadcast. And we talk about all kinds of things, uh, mind, body, spirit, relationships, work on there. And it's a, it's a real joy and pleasure for me to, for me to document my learnings and stories from coaching 
um, in that in that uh, series. So love to hear some hear from some people joining that series. Great. Well, it's been uh, fascinating to sit down with you and have a good conversation and hope you have a good uh, rest of your week. Thank you so much, Mark. A huge amount of gratitude for you and everyone at Brains. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Mark Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.